Thank you, Pastor. Well, we're in chapter 19, and uh, we're moving right along here in the book of Revelation. Now, I have with me a handout, but I, I'm not going to hand it out till after after class. You can take it now so I don't forget. Oh, it's good to have some new folks in. Um, we have a, a study that we've been doing verse by verse of the book of Revelation, and we've covered each chapter and the seven churches individually, so we're more than 18 lessons into the study. In fact, we only have a few more weeks to go. But here in chapter 19, we find one of those transitional chapters. And what I'm saying is this. We're going to be moving from the tribulation into the millennial, but just an introduction. We handle the millennial when we get to chapter 20. But this chapter kind of wedges in between chapter 17 and 18, where we studied the destruction of the false prophet, the false church. And then in chapter 18, last week, Babylon itself, or Babylon the Great, as she's called. Now, this chapter begins the first six verses of what we call Hallelujah verses. And I hope you have your Bible and you can open it up with me. I bring my notes each week, but I found that it's easier to go right from the Bible and use those as my spare tire. Sometimes you don't expect to have a flat, but sometimes you can have a flat at any moment. <laughs> All right, chapter 19. We're going to begin with the four hallelujahs, and the first one, the hallelujah of salvation, is found in verse 1. And after these things, well, let's, let's just explain what that's speaking of as chapter 17 and 18. After the fall of the Babylonian Empire, uh, then we come into these two chapters here, and it says, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven, and now notice this is a heavenly scene, the destruction of Babylon and the destruction of the false prophet were, heavenly, uh, were earthly scenes, but now we move back to a heavenly scene, this is in heaven, much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Now, you notice it's spelled Alleluia and not Hallelujah. And there's a, I don't make a big thing over that. Um, one's the Hebrew, the other's the Greek. Uh, uh, the Greek is Hallelujah. That's what we're more accustomed to saying. There's actually some people today who try to teach it that's two different words having two different meanings. That's not the case. The, the word hallelujah means praise the Lord. In fact, 
the only place in the New Testament that you find the word hallelujah or hallelujah, however you want to pronounce it, are in these verses here. These four hallelujah uh, references. There's no other reference in the New Testament. However, the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, you'll find nine different uses of hallelujah. It means praise the Lord. That's, that's not bad to say, is it? Praise the Lord. You hear people saying, perhaps today, uh, in our churches, more saying praise the Lord than hallelujah. But uh, I still like to hear hallelujahs now and then. And it's not offensive to me whatsoever. But here is the hallelujah of salvation. And then we go to verses 2 and 3 and we find the next hallelujah. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he, now speaking of Christ, of course, he hath, uh, uh, for he hath judged the great whore, that's the false prophet, which uh, did corrupt the earth with her fornication, that's uh, uh, wrong teaching, uh, false teachings about scriptural things is how it's used here, not in a physical fornication, but a spiritual fornication, and hath avenged the, the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. So there's the second hallelujah having to do with the judgment of the false church. And now the third one we find in verses 4 and 5. And it says in the four and twenty elders. Remember now the way back we studied about the four and 20, uh, 24 elders. We said that they were representative of the New Testament age saints. So they represent us, you and I, who are born again Christians. We're represented by these 24 elders. And it says, and the four and 20 elders and the four beasts, these were angelic beings, you remember, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God. And that really is pretty close to praise the Lord, isn't it? Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. Here we have a heavenly choir, more or less, shouting out hallelujah in verses 4 and 5. And now the final one is found in verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. This is a hallelujah to the uh, God that we serve, the God who is omnipresent, or, uh, and then omnipotent, and then omniscient, uh, omnipotent, uh, on, on my present and on my uh, what did I say? I, I, I can here. Okay. Uh, that was the three anyhow. <laughs> okay. Now verses 7 and 8. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Now, this is certainly a, a time that we look forward to. This is now going to speak about the marriage of the Lamb. That is, the bride of Christ being married to Christ. This is uh, what's spoken about in the New Testament. Uh, often we read about it. We, we refer to the Christians of this age as the bride of Christ. And here we find the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, this whole section in some Bibles will list that as one section, verses 1 through 10. I just simply, I just simply like to break them down. The first four hallelujahs, verses 1 through 6, and then verses uh, 7 through 10, continuing the the great praise, and this praise now begins about the uh, marriage of the Lamb. Let us read it again. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the uh, fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. There's a lot, of, a lot of controversial teachings in this area here. Under that little statement that she has made herself ready. Now, if she's made herself ready, it's naturally that she's not ready. And, you know, we read in 1 John chapter 2 there how that uh, some folks will be ashamed at the coming of Christ. And uh, we look around today and we see some people who are dedicated children of God, faithful children of God, faithful to their church, faithful to serving the Lord, faithful to living a testimony. But then there are a great number of folks who are Christians, at least they say they're Christians, and I'm not judging them. God's their judge. And I do know that there are some Christians who are truly saved, who, who do not act like Christians. And if you ever thought a person could be of that type, a person who, uh, you know, they, they say uh, they're, they're known to be saved, but they don't act right, you go back to the Old Testament and read about a guy by the name of Lot. You ever hear about Lot? Yeah, so, uh, you know, when there's going to be many that go say, Lord, Lord, you know, hey, mm -hmm. I, I was a Christian. You know, I did all these things for you. Mm -hmm. And the Lord has said, hey, I, I never knew you. Yeah, so that's, that is a group who claim to be saved and who are not saved. And, and there, there are many who fall into that category. Not everybody that say that they're saved, they're saved. But not everybody who don't live like a Christian is not necessarily saved. Now, now think of that a moment. That's why some will be ashamed when the Lord comes back. Because they'll not be living right. Lot certainly didn't live right. He lived amongst a bunch of homosexuals and just became one of the party. 
until the angel went in and took him out. And then how'd he die? <laughs> Terrible death, committing incest with his daughters. I mean, Lot wasn't a very nice person, yet the Bible talks about in the New Testament Lot being a just man. A just man is a person who's saved. So that tells me this. We, we got to be careful about judging people. Uh, we're not to judge one another. And, and I'm not making excuse or encouraging anybody to live a, a, a life for Christ that's not pleasing to him. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's a lot of people that live like that. And they are child, children of God. They've been saved. But they're living a backslidden condition. They're, they're different and different to the things of God. And you know them and I know them. We have them in our families and we have them in our church families. Now, uh, this is speaking about making themselves ready. There's a thing in the Bible that takes place during this time of between the rapture and the revelation of Christ. Now, what's that? The rapture is chapter 4, when Christ uh, comes for his own. He comes for his saints. The revelation is in chapter 19 here, we'll cover a little bit later, where Christ comes with his saints. There's a, there's a difference. One, he comes for them. One, he comes with them. One is a, before the tribulation. One is at the ending of the tribulation, when it's over. When it's over. Okay, so this judgment seat of Christ is during this period of time. You can read about that, and we'll not have time tonight, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, tells, tells you about the judgment seat of Christ. How that uh, some are saved, yet as by fire. Some who uh, have rewards, and some others whose works are burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, there's different Christians. These were all Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. They're not being judged for their salvation. They're being judged by their works as to what kind of a Christian they were. This judgment seat of Christ is going to get the, the New Testament saint ready to be the bride. Now, I don't believe, and I know that some believe that there are different degrees of Christians throughout eternity. I don't believe that because we're all saved by the pure grace of God and not by works, lest any man should boast. Clearly taught in the Bible. And so we have nothing to brag about whether we are faithful or not faithful. What we do for God, we do in God's, by God's grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. I've often said that not one person ever need to go to hell. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, anybody, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commanded his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And when he died on that cross, he died for all. Every person that's ever lived could be saved by the power of the cross. But we know most people were not saved. Most people refused the gift of God, which is eternal life, and they live their own life. They try to do their own way. They think they know more than God, and they think they can work their way to heaven. That's what the Tower of Babel, if you remember last week, was all about. Trying to reach up into heaven by man's efforts. That'll never make it. That tower didn't reach to heaven, but their sins did. And all are sinners. All need to be saved. And word to God that all were saved, but they're not. And word to God that all Christians would live a, a, a good testimony for the Lord, but they do not. That's why we have so many anemic churches today because of the anemic Christians that are in the churches. And uh, it's not God's will. It's not his, his desire. And before this wedding takes place, there's going to be a reckoning. But you know what? When we, go, when we come out, look at the next verse. Let's read that verse again and then go down to verse 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she uh, should be arrayed. Now notice that word granted, that's like given. It's not paid for. That's not what they've worked for. No, pure grace was given that should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The only righteousness we have is that which is imputed to us by Christ. God living in us, that's the only righteousness we have, any of us. There's none of us that deserve anything other than hell. But by the grace of God, he chose to save all that were called upon him. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible tells us, but that all should come to repentance. Now let's go on, verse 9. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, here's another controversial area. Called unto the marriage supper. The bride is not called. She is part of the ceremony. She's part of the, the celebration. The called are the guests. Those who are guests. And here again, there's a lot of difference in people's belief. Many people believe that the guest would be uh, the, uh, these tribulation saints that we've been studying about. Some say, well, yes, and it also would include um, the Old Testament saints. 
And uh, I personally hold this, and, and you can hold what position you want. I'll tell you you're both, and uh, neither one are going to keep you out of heaven. But uh, I personally believe strongly in the portraying of the age in which we live by a parenthesis. Now, you know what a parenthesis is. A parenthesis in a sentence is put in for explanation or more information, but it has nothing to do with the continuing narrative, okay? The reason the church is shown as a parenthesis in the prophetic charts that you look at, you'll see the Old Testament dispensation of law, and then the sixth dispensation, which is the dispensation of grace, that's what we live in, is shown as a parenthesis. And then there's a little additional, not a curve this way, but there's a curve this way, that is the end of that fifth dispensation. Those charts don't show the law like this. They show the law and then a parenthesis, and then the law continuing for seven years. The seven-year tribulation is a time when God is working with the Jewish people again as a nation. It's fulfilling the promise that the nation will turn to him in a day. They haven't done it yet. They're not going to do it during this age of grace. They're not going to do it now that they're back in Israel. That's not going to make the qualifying they're there, but their heart is not in God's desire. There, there is a worldly group of people. Now, I'm not saying that that's not partial fulfillment of biblical prophecy and God's plan for the Jew. But I'm saying that they're not there because they are good Jews and they love God and they're obeying God. Uh, there's a lot of those people over there who are just flat-out atheists. They, they practice atheism. They're not all Jewish people. Uh, there's, they're Israelites because they live in Israel. They're not Jew because they have nothing to do with the Jewish religion. There are some Jewish people over there. There are some general Jews. There are some Orthodox Jews. But that's beside the point. They're not all there uh, for the purpose of serving God. They're not there for that. They're there for their own government, their own country. Now, during the tribulation, God's going to work with those people and it'll be all 12 tribes. Don't ever let people tell you God lost 10 tribes. <laughs> you may have lost the record of 10 tribes, but God hasn't lost the one. We've already studied about the 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And that'd be a big difference in the number if you eliminated the 10 tribes that went off into uh, captivity before the, the, the lower kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. So here it says they're called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And some, again, say that... Um, these are the Old Testament saints with the tribulation saints and um, maybe some other that they're overlooking. Uh, and um, 
I hold a different view, I told you that. The different view I hold is this. Because the church is seen as a parenthesis, I believe it could be taken out of history. Could be taken out and God's program with the Jew would have continued and that tribulation period would have been hooked up. Now, it's not taken out. God knew that the Jews, when he came into his own, his own received him not. They wouldn't have him. So God said, okay, why? I'll put a, a, I'll put a dispensation in there called grace that will be both Gentile and Jew, and they will be together, and I'll work through them. But I'm not forgetting my promise. He made an everlasting covenant to Abraham. He's going to for, God never breaks a covenant. And, and many times we don't deserve his covenants. But God keeps his word anyhow. And he's not going to uh, forget the covenant he made with Abraham. A making of him a great nation. And not only that, of making great nations throughout the world because of him. Not just the Jew. He's the father of the Jews. He was a Gentile. You know that. God called him out of the Gentiles, out of the Ur Chaldees, and made of him a new people, a new nation, the Jewish people. And he made promises of a land, not that little piece of land we see over there today and we call Israel, but a land that the Bible describes as being from the Euphrates River all the way down to the river of Egypt. That whole piece of ground belongs to the Jew and they're going to have it. God keeps his promise. And these this parenthesis could be taken out and never bother God's program. That's what a parenthesis is. And to keep faithful to that understanding, I do not say that these are Old Testament saints. I don't believe any, oh, I don't believe these tribulation saints are in that guest, those ones who are bid to the wedding. I say this, it's not very popular, so if it hurts you, just stick your finger in your ears now, okay. But I say it's babies, and it's those who are classified technically as what is classified as an idiot. Now that's a negative term today, because we use it in a wrong way and we call people idiots. An idiot, technically, is someone with an IQ of less than a three-year-old. Now, there's people born like that in this age. And, and you, you, you remember this. I say babies and idiots. You know there's a lot of babies who mothers never bring to maturity, who, who die 
before they're ever given birth. There's a lot of little infant babies who die. Now, how do we become a child of God in this age? We accept the gift of God, eternal life. We put our trust and faith in Christ. But what about those in this age, of that parenthesis, who has never asked Jesus to come into their heart, either because they died before they were born, they were uh, not physically born, the life begins at conception. I believe that, that body was alive at the time of conception, and that's a real person. And that mother who never cradled that baby here will see that baby in maturity in heaven and know it. And they don't know them. Now, that's, that's not too common thought now. I know. Don't shoot me for saying that. I'm just telling you what I believe, what I've... I wrote a term paper in college on this same thing. And I, I, had a, I had an English teacher. That's who required the thesis to say, oh, this guy's teaching a heresy. So forcibly, he made me go to all the theological teachers, Dr. Gelming, Dr. Boyd, and uh, the one I sat under, <laughs> and that's something you forget your own teacher. Who? No, 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 no. Gilming was he. He taught. He was a teacher. Anyhow, it doesn't matter what their names were. But we had three, and I had to go around to each one of them and show them his paper, and stand up to any of their questions. And you know what I did? I did what I was told. I wanted my grade. I, he would not give me a grade if I didn't do that. I'd went around. Not a one of those theological professors said that that could not be a possibility because of what I said, the way I justified it with Scripture. They said that could be. So I've never changed that position. A person who's born with a, a mind that uh, is not able to comprehend, okay, they're born, there's some like that in our age. They've never, you have to have a rational mind to accept Christ as your Savior because you have to know that you're a sinner, the first thing. And an idiot or a little infant, they don't know anything. They just mess their diaper and have a good time, you know. That, they're not worried about anything. But they're in this age. I believe that's what God's made provision for here. I believe those who are, are called unto the marriage are those of this age who are not in the body of Christ. They've never been born again. They've not been saved as we would be saved, okay? So that's, that's the end of that. You can take it to the bank or throw it in the trash. It doesn't matter. And I'm not giving a grade on this, this exam anyhow. And, and verse 9, okay, a, a call, and then verse 10, 
And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. This is an angel, of course, that's talking to him. And he said, I am, I am thy, thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is, is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, we know that angels, nor any creature other than mankind was to worship God in this sense, in, or to, to receive worship in this sense. Here, some of these um, television preachers, they, they, they kind of act like they think they're God, but uh, you don't bow down to anybody. You bow down to God alone. Now, here's a, here's a good section that you want to pay attention. I'm going to have to move. Verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Now you know this rider is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that rider, the white horse in chapter 6, which was the Antichrist. This is the Christ. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, many crowns. And he, and he had a name written that no man knew, uh, that no man knew but he himself. There's things about God that we'll never know. You can't explain God. You're not God. If you could explain everything about God, then you would be God, and you're not God. Believe me, you're not God. Ask your wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He mentioned this name before, if you remember. And uh, so that's, there's three names given to him here. That's one. One that we don't know. But John seen it evidently, but he couldn't put it into words. There's no way to explain it. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And now, by the way, that's not the blood from the Battle of Armageddon. That doesn't, that's not going to happen until verse 15. That blood is the blood that Christ had put on him through the price he paid as our Savior. Uh, the blood at the cross, the blood at the battles he fights for you and I. And his name is called the Word of God. Now in John's Gospel, uh, we know that that is Christ. Uh, the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst, amongst us. In verse 1, it tells us that he is God. Okay? And the armies which were in heaven, followed him, notice, upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now let me tell you something. You don't think that the things were taken care of at the judgment seat of Christ. It doesn't say any of his people were left behind. We all, Christians, saved by grace, serve God, and one day, you may never have ridden a horse in your life, but you're going to get to ride a white horse. And you'll be clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, 
that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and, the, uh, and he treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. This is speaking about his judgment when he comes and his, his weapon is his word. You know, in John's gospel, during the time when Christ was at the garden, and you have to look it up, it's, uh, those chapters run from chapter 14 all the way to chapter 17, but in there, you'll find it recorded. I think it's in chapter 16, but you'll find it recorded something like this. They came to get Christ. You remember when Judas betrayed him with the kiss? And they said about where he said, I am he. I am he. And when he said that, they fell to the ground backwards. And all he did was speak. And that's all he has to do is speak. All the world and everything in it, he brought about by his word. He spoke it in their existence. Read Genesis chapter 1 and see a bit of the power of the word of God. He speaks in it so. That battle will be fought with the, by the words of Christ himself. He will speak, and that's all it takes. It says in verse 16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We know that's Christ. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls, Now here's a supper you don't want to attend. The wedding supper of the Lamb, I'm looking forward to that day. But here's one you do not want to attend. He says, I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all, notice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that set on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. There's a supper of God talked about here. This invitation to the the birds to come to this great supper, to gorge themselves on the bodies of the, all these great, so-called great men on the earth, both small and great, rich and poor, all are going to be at that battle and all are going to be food for these birds. And he gives that invitation before the battle's ever fought. How do you like that? I think, he, I think he's pretty sure of himself, isn't he? Verse 19. Now listen. And we got 15 minutes. I can do it. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. This is the climatic battle of Armageddon. Armageddon itself 
starts at the middle of the tribulation and goes throughout the entire last half of the tribulation. It's wars and battles, but there's a climatic battle. That's what this is talking about. This is the final battle right before Christ comes back. He says here, and the beast was taken. Now that beast is the Antichrist that we've studied about. His fall is recorded in chapter 18. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet. We studied about her back in chapter 17, the false church. That wrought miracles before him, with which she, uh, which he deceived them that uh, had uh, deceived the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Now mark it down. That's the first time the lake of fire is mentioned in the Bible. The lake of fire is not hell. Hell is like the uh, penitentiary. The lake of fire is eternal. There's no end to it. The lake of fire is a terrible place. Now there's some things here I want to bring out because if you're quick, you caught some things here that you want it explained a little bit further. Here's the beast and the false prophet taken alive and thrown in to the lake of fire. You say, well, we studied in chapter 17 that the false prophet was killed by the kings, burnt. She was done away with. Religion, false religion wasn't needed anymore and the Antichrist would be the one that you would worship from the, in the second half. No problem. God can easily raise a body from the dead. He, he did it in his ministry. He can do it, folks. Don't worry about it. He's alive here. And alive, he will go into that lake of fire, to both of them. You'll say, well, that, preacher, I believe that's annihilation. I don't believe that's, um, I should have wrote that down, I did somewhere. That's where I told you a spare tire. I'm getting my spare tire out. I've got it in my notes here. Huh. You know, oh, there it is. Chapter 20, I knew the chapter. Verse 10. Listen. This is a thousand years later. You're going to find this out next week. Chapter 20 teaches us about the millennial reign of Christ. Okay? A millennial, millennial, the word means a thousand. This is the thousand year reign of Christ. The end of it. When Satan is during that time, Satan's locked up. He can't do bother anybody. But at the end, he's loose for a short season and he gets a following to go with him for a final assault 
against Christ. Here's what happened. And the devil that deceived them, talking about those who followed him, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now listen, where the beast and the false prophet are. You tell me you believe in annihilation and there's no hell. You don't know your Bible. You just read it right there, just plain right before your eyes. A thousand years later, they're there. They're still in that lake of fire. It's, it's a fact. You can't change it. You can't change it. Let's go back to our lesson. Okay. Verse 20. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their feasts. Just like God said, when he invited them before the battle ever fought, he said, you guys, come on, get ready. Shine up your silverware and get your napkins because you're going to have a feast. And then he brought about the feast. He slaughtered them with the word of his mouth. They're going to come against the Lord like they did other nations, thinking that they were physically going to battle with him. And they were, you know, back in uh, chapter, what, 17 or so, the question was asked about the, the beast. Who is like this wonderful beast? Who can make war with him? Well, you find out. Christ to make war with him and he'll whip him with just one word out of his mouth. Just like they fell backward at his betrayal in the garden, they're going to fall down dead and the birds are going to eat their carcasses. This is a terrible time of scripture, but it's, it's tying together the tribulation to the millennial. Because the millennial reign is recorded in chapter 20, which we'll look at next week. That we'll look at this chapter. And the millennial reign, again, is a thousand years. That was promised to the Jews in the Old Testament that he would reign on David's throne. And I believe, I believe, now check me out, and then, then we'll fuss, okay? I believe. David will be resurrected and he'll be reigning on that throne and Christ is reigning over him as he does all nations during that time. We'll look further into that next week when we get into that. 